God knows us and he, he knows our struggles with sin and he only asks that if we confess those sins, he will forgive them. Please join me in this morning's prayer of confession. Lord, we so much want to trust you with our lives, but it's hard to let go of control because we are not sure of what you have in mind. We know that you have our good and your glory as your purpose, but it's sometimes not the good we want or imagine. Other times you call on us to wait, but we become impatient, anxious, and insecure as time goes by, and we don't see things materializing as quickly as we would like, and we re react hastily. We confess there are also times we feel we could help your plan or even have a better idea. Forgive our deficient knowledge and inadequate understanding of you. Help us, Lord, to see you as you really are, sovereign, all-knowing, and perfectly wise. Oh, how we need you. Forgive us when we don't acknowledge you in all our circumstances and situations so that you can straighten them out. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning is from Psalm 103, verses 11 through 13. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Our guidelines for living this morning is from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you can, we can join us in praising God by singing our praise choruses. Please stand if you'd like.
Trust and Obey was written in 1887. The words were written by John H. Samus, and the music came from Daniel B. Towner. The scriptural basis for this hymn is John 8:31. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Verse 32 goes on to say, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for these, your folks. For you have blessed us so mightily with our great salvation that is eternally secure for all of us. And for the wonderful blessings of this life that, Lord, living in America, what a blessing that is. And also the wonderful things that we have in a store that no other nation has that we have. God, we are so grateful for all your love and your kindness to us. Please accept these gifts as tokens of our appreciation of what you have done. And through Christ I pray. Amen. come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful day it is today to come into your presence. And how blessed we are, Lord, to live in a great country where we're free to worship you as we wish, to be able to say anything from the pulpit that pleases you and we don't have to worry about being arrested for it. I thank you, Lord, for the blessings that we have in this nation of utilities and government and things that help it all work together and that we can all share in the wonderful blessings you've given to us. And today, Heavenly Father, we come to you with those in our congregation who are shut in 
those who can't get out anymore and would love to, but can't, for Bill and for Evelyn and Lucille and Karen and Kay and Joyce, and for Dean, Lord, who wrote me a letter today apologizing why he couldn't be here because of a condition he's developed. I pray, Father God, for a fellow by the name of Doug Isley, who was supposed to have surgery this week and couldn't because he was too risky. I pray also, too, for Ashley and for her situation, God. I pray for Annette. I pray for her cousin, Nancy, who just had her radical surgery, that uh, she will heal up and be with her family as they uh, continue to look forward. And we pray that everything was taken out so that she didn't have any more cancer. I pray also, too, Father God, for Angie, who is full of cancer, and for her and her husband, Todd, who's had some major heart issues. I pray this week as they go to Breckenridge that you can be with them and give them comfort and peace and that the chemo will continue to work in her body and that they can figure out how to fix Todd's heart, Lord. I pray also too, Father, for Nick. I pray also too for um, Sarah. I think of Howard, who has a, just had had a huge amount of his skull uh, taken out for because they found more cancer. I pray for its healing and the skin grafts that he has to keep him from, for Terry who's had his eyes worked on this week and also for uh, my friend Sam and his eyes, Lord, bring healing to them. We pray also for Cindy, Lord, you know the struggles she has. And Father, I pray for those who are struggling with addictions I think of Ryan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch. I pray for my friend Jordan that he can get another two weeks at treatment so that, Lord, he can be prepared and that, Lord, they all will walk away from alcohol and drugs and walk to you. I pray for Ryan, who is living in a Calvary cemetery here in town. I just pray, Lord, that his heart will be touched and realize that he doesn't need to do this anymore and that he can lay down his addiction. I pray for Sandra, a friend of Tom's, who's going to start dialysis, and I just pray for her kidney transplant that will come through and that she can receive it. And Father, we have other people on our minds and other situations, Lord, of people that we love. I think of a marriage, Lord. I pray for your miraculous work in there that healing will come and that a divorce will be stopped. And that, Lord, that Christ, you can rule in that family and that you can bring healing to it. I pray for all those that are broken right now and for the healing work. I pray, Father God, too, for our church as we begin to move out of our denomination. And that as we close that out in the next coming weeks, that, Lord, um, that we can send a message to those that we say that we can show them that we love, but we need to stand for the truth. And they get that message. Father, I pray also, too, for other denominations that are going through similar dividings. I just pray, Lord, that the church can be the church as it's supposed to be. That it's to hold up the standard of the word of God and that we're to 
heal society's woes and problems with you, God, being the truth, the one who we trust. And Father God, right now I come to you and bring to you this message. Help us to learn. I pray that each one of us can go away from this message with something we have learned to build on for the future and trusting you no matter what we go through. And it's through Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. That was not good. Whatever that was. Little Joey was coming home from school. And his mother, on the way there home from Sunday school at church that day, she said, Joey, what did you learn in Sunday school? He said, well, we learned about Moses taking the children of Israel through the Red Sea. And how Moses called up... Something's hmm, right there. There we go. That something's going on. Hmm. Tell you what I'm this is not working yet. I'll just preach from here. That Moses called the army to set up a platoon bridge to get the Israelites out of the desert and through the Red Sea to the Canaan land. And that when the Egyptians came, he had them destroyed by waiting for them to get on the bridge, and then he radioed in for an airstrike and took them out with F-16s. And the teacher, his mother said, honey, is that really what the teacher taught you? He said, no, mom, but if I told you what the teacher did tell me, you wouldn't believe it anyway. Some people have a hard time believing the miracles of God. Historically, we know they took, church, took place. And here today, we're on now as we move through Exodus. God has moved in the children of Israel. We remember that he brought ten plagues upon the Egyptians. Pharaoh finally relented and let the Israelites go after he lost his own first son and many of the firstborn in the land of Egypt because they didn't put blood over there. And the angel of death came and took their children. It was a day of tremendous grief and devastation that God brought upon the people of Egypt so that the children of Israel could be free. And one of the things that we find out about in history, Dwight Eisenhower once said it. He said, history does not long entrusted to the care of, the, of freedom by the weak and the timid. It's by the strong and the mighty. Eisenhower was talking, of course, about the Allies who fought in World War II and how costly that victory was. And there's novelist Kinsley said two freedoms that happen. There's one freedom people think is freedom, that they're free to do whatever they like. But that's not true freedom. But the true freedom is that when those who are free know what they need to do or ought to do and they do it. It takes that kind of maturity for freedom to stay the way it is. It's a mark of maturity. And after the angel of death had come through and wiped out, the children of Israel were questioning God. 
You see, a lot of times we in our own lives, we find ourselves in that way, don't we? We find ourselves asking the question of God. When that new job that we took six months ago, interviewed for it, worked for six months at it, did it well, took the job, and three months we get fired. Or that the couple that I know that decided to pack everything up and move to Florida, thought that was going to be their Canaan, only to find that they didn't like Florida. Or the young student who works hard to get through his education, to build himself to be a doctor and get through all those hard exams of science and chemistry, only to burn out and have a breakdown the second year in medical school. It's in those times that it really hurts and we say, God, what are you doing? Why did you allow it to happen that way? Why in the world? now here is a whole new section and God has what we call is God's positioning system that is he puts us in spots and places that we've never been before places that we don't want to be and that it's God who does that and we wrestle why When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lead the people, charge and change their minds, and then they will see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land Egypt equipped for battle. And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Now you see here today, God chose a different path for Israel to travel on God does that in all of our lives sometimes. He doesn't give us the straight route. For Israel, it became 40 years through the desert. And George Morrison wrote this wonderful quip that I think is helpful for us. He said, it took Israel one night to get out of Egypt. But it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. What a tremendous reminder to us that sometimes God will take us that long route, the hard route, because he's trying to purge us from things in our life, habits in our life, things that are not right. We all know that God has given to us sanctification. 
And what it means is that when we come to Christ, there's a road that we're going to go on now that we get closer and closer to Jesus. But it doesn't always happen very easy. It takes a while. A.W. Tozer says we are saved to salvation, but we also saved from ourselves. And that path that he takes us on in sanctification and puts us through different trials in order to save us from our sinful selves. And God plans the route for his people. You see, this is what happened with the children of Israel. You see, they were in Egypt. And when God pulled them out of Egypt, he led them by a pillar, not the direct route. See, the direct route was called the Via Marsis, which is a road right along the coast that leads right up to Canaan. But God knew they couldn't handle that. They were in slavery. 600 men were tough, but they weren't warriors. And so in order to keep them from getting into battles and to fights with the Egyptian soldiers and also the Philistines who were along the coast in battlements, and they could have easily shaken the Israelites down and taken from their booty, he sent them out into the desert the long way around. And God planned that route to protect them. The Bible tells us that he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, I've traveled around before I went to go to Florida one time, and I had a route that I was so peculiarly wondering, what in the world are we doing? Because I was supposed to fly to Florida, but first I had to go to fly to Denver, then to Florida. It made no sense. And you see, for these people, this is what God did. But you see, they didn't know that they could have easily had problems with the Philistines and the Egyptian outpost. And God was protecting them. He was helping them to get where he needed them to be. And he guided them to the spot where he wanted them and to the lesson that they needed to experience. And many times you and I get disappointed, don't we? God puts us in a place or takes us to a place or puts us in situations that we really don't like. And a lot of us sometimes, and I believe myself, I want to know the future and God doesn't let us know the future. But instead, he gives us incremental steps like he did with Israel. He led them by the pillar of cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night, but he led them incrementally. He didn't tell them that they were going to go through all the stuff that they were going to go through. He just led them by one day at a time. And he just said, follow me. Trust me. And you see, we don't need to know where we're going. He does. All we need to do is know him and to trust him. And that's what he wants. The Bible says in the psalmist, he says, the word is a light unto our path. And that's what it is. It helps us with the incremental everyday steps that we go through. To live righteously before him. That's what he does. And he doesn't necessarily think that we need to know too much of our own future. I know the day that I had my colonoscopy. I thought 
Afterwards, I'm going to have a doctor's appointment. He says, we're good to go. You're fine. And I walk into his office, Dr. Judy, right down the street here. And he says, uh, Mr. Hanyan? Yes, Dr. Judy? You have prostate cancer. Oh, what? I thought you just worked on that thing. I said, well, but you've got it. There's nothing we need to do right now, and don't get worried about it, and don't tell your wife not to get worried about it. We're just going to monitor. Second time I've had cancer now. And <clears throat> I had to just leave it to the Lord and to trust him. I don't know what that brings. I don't know when that's going to flare up, but I trust him. You know, that's what God does to us sometimes. He puts us in those spots. I was reading about a young boy who was afraid of the dark. Nine years old. Lived on the farm. Dad said to him, son, I need you to go check on the cows in the barn. Dad, it's dark out. Yep. Go check on them. But I don't know, I can't see where the barn is. I'm afraid. That's all right. Go check on them. And I'll show you how to go. And the dad stood on the porch. He said, do you see the gate? Yeah. Walk to the gate. Walk to the gate. I don't see the barn, Dad. You see the oak tree? Yeah, I see the oak tree. Walk to the oak tree. Walk to the oak tree. See the barn? No. You see the stump? Yeah. Walk to the stump. You see the barn? Yeah, Dad, I see it. Go check the cows. God does that sometimes to us, doesn't he? Incrementally speaks to us and guides us to those places. Sometimes he leads us step by step as we go through the difficulties of life. He knows the blueprint to my life and to your life. But guess what? We don't need to know it. He does. And there's reasons why God doesn't let us know the big blueprint. Sometimes, as we did, Jesus showed us in the gospel where the man who knew the blueprint, or he thought he did, he said, I got to build bigger barns because I got so much I'm making now, I'm going to tear down the old one and build up better ones. And then Jesus said that night, his soul was required of him and he died. Sometimes when we know the future, we can become very arrogant. Sometimes we can be lazy. But you see, the real big deal about not letting us know is the most important reason, and that's faith. If we knew everything we needed to know about our lives, we would not trust him. If we knew all of our future, we would not need to lean on him. And he's given us this component as Christians to trust not only Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for eternity, but to trust him with every day of our lives. He's got the blueprint. And we don't need to know 100% before we make a decision what God's plan is. I've had people say to me, I've got to know what God... No, you don't. Just trust him. 
Read the Bible and there's anything that you're not supposed to do, don't do it. But if there is anything that you're supposed to do, and one of them is faith. Step out in faith and trust that God's going to give you wisdom in this decision and do it. Because if you look at the Bible, <laughs> there are hundreds of examples of things that people were to do. And they didn't know how it was going to turn out. Moses was sitting in the middle of the desert building an ark and he didn't know what God was going to do. And he built it for hundreds of years. Abraham was told by God, leave your family at Ur the Chaldees and go find the land for me. Just go. <laughs> he wasn't told where he was going. He just go. Joshua, God tells him, just march around Jericho, blowing horns. God, are you kidding me? Trust me, Joshua. Daniel, thrown into the lion's den. Trust me. Hundreds of examples in the Bible where people are given assignments and not specifically but the very specific thing was just trust me. And today, here we are with the children of Israel. God is going to put them in circumstances that are beyond their belief. Yes, he protected them from going up the wrong way so that they didn't have to fight battles along the side of the, the, the Mediterranean Sea. But put them out in the desert and then led them right to their backs being up to the Red Sea. And all they had behind them was the Red Sea. And in front of them was the desert. And God was going to back them up. To show them. How he was going to grow their faith. They were right at the edge of the water. Camping out. Here they were. God had led them there. God was going to teach them a lesson that they needed. You see, that's what God does in our lives. He takes us through things that are going to take our faith here. So that we build our faith here for today. But that's not the last time he's going to do that. He's going to build your faith here. But that's just another level to build your faith for the next thing that you're going to go through in life. And what is going on here, you're building some of those muscles for faith and that get you ready so that when it's time this one hits, you're ready. And that this one is going to grow more faith muscles so that you're ready for this one over here. That's what he's doing here. Because this is not going to be the last time they're going to have to need faith to trust God. This is a big one, but you know what? The funny, the, it's not funny, it's very sad. They didn't get the lesson. They still balked at it. Faith is a tough thing. It needs to be fed and strengthened every day. Because otherwise you just wilt. And here God was going to move them. That there was no way to escape. No place to go. Right up to the Red Sea. And look what happens. God's plan. And when the king of Egypt had told that the people had fled, 
The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and he took his army with him. Here we have it. Pharaoh and his leaders made a decision and they lost over 600 to a million people, 600,000 to a million workers for free, just walked out of Egypt. Two million people. He let them go. And when after it happens, he goes, what were we thinking? I know none of you ever have that problem, do you? (laughs) And of course, God in his mercy. You know as well as I do, we get those what ifs. What if I would have done this? He's thinking that. The Israelites are thinking that too. What ifs? What if I wound up with that? Boyfriend or girlfriend. Look what the mess God saved me from. What if I didn't have the dad I had? It's interesting. Sometimes you run into a situation. I remember one time I had a young man who he came to Christ. He's a pastor now in Miami. He was a heroin addict. Came to know Christ. But what he went through to get to there (laughs) was incredible. When we sent him to Teen Challenge, that God really worked in his life and changed him radically. And one person said to him, man, I wish I have a testimony like you did. (laughs) Because this kid was raised in a Christian home. His parents wouldn't let him do the things. They sat on him. Wanted him to to get his life straight and taught him the way of Christ. And my friend said to him, are you kidding me? God has blessed you so much to have a mother and father who cared for you. Who wouldn't let you go into that stuff. Who were on top of you and loved you because they wanted to protect you. And they brought you into a home, up in a home where Christ was talked about. And you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior without, like I had to do, go through all this garbage in my life and almost get killed and overdose several times before I could come to Christ. He said, you are so much more blessed because you have parents who really loved you in Christ. And here the children of Israel are being protected by God. And little do they know (laughs) that Pharaoh now sees the error of his ways and he's coming after them to get them. And they're panicking. Little do they know that God in his ultimate plan has made them the cheese in the Egyptian mousetrap that's going to take them out. And that Israel will never have to deal with these Egyptians during their lifetime. Because he's going to destroy him. But you see, they didn't see that. They just panicked. They saw God working the ten plagues. And that would have, you would think that, that would have built my faith. Nope. 
They would have seen all the miracles God did and would have overcome these hundreds of gods that they had. And they didn't see it yet. But they forgot. And they're panicked. And what do they do? They reinterpret what God did. And this is, why did God allow it? Why did Moses, did you lead us out of there? We told you this was going to happen. Why? Jonah. God spared him out of the mouth of the fish. Puts him back on dry land. And God uses him the way he was meant to be used. And the people of Nineveh repent. And Jonah's complaining. God, I knew you were a giving and forgiving God. I knew you were going to do this. I... Here we have the Israelites watching as the Egyptian soldiers and 600 chariots are coming toward them. The Red Sea is behind them and they're scared to death. And of course, what they do is what they normally do. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, It's because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us out us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said? To you in Egypt, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. But would it have not been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness here? You see, they don't see God. They've taken their eyes away from the pillar, the cloud, and their eyes are on the Egyptians coming towards them in their pursuit. And they're looking, and there's the Red Sea, and it's totally blocked in. God has put them in this rock in a hard place. And when they panic, of course, what do they do? They complain. They tell Moses what a disappointment he is, what a disappointment God is. They let their unbelief take a hold. Even though God has shown them before how great he is and what a great delivery was. They let their fears grab a hold of them. And he says to them, just trust me here, kids. Don't be afraid. Settle down. And then move ahead. You know, sometimes God will put us in spots to make us move. Because... Sometimes we have spiritual inertia that we just get very comfortable in who we are. If you want to read an interesting book, read the book of Acts in the Bible. And there you'll read how the children, the church, the disciples, had become very comfortable in the resurrection of Jesus. They saw him. Church in Jerusalem and Antioch were doing good. But they forgot that God said to them, go into the world. And they weren't moving too fast. 
And what we see God do, he allows persecution to come into the church. Now, why did God allow persecution to come to the Christians? Because they weren't moving. (laughs) And the way he got them to move is by persecution. Some of you know that sometimes people in groups can get into what they call the paralysis of analysis. Well, the church early on got into a boat like that. And they weren't taking the gospel to the world. And you know how it is when you have a car that doesn't have power stealing, you try to steer it another way. (laughs) It don't turn too fast. And what God was doing to the church was getting them to move. Here we have it, the children of Israel panicked. And we hear in Psalm 23, you have a beautiful phrase which says, even though we walk through the shallow of death, I fear no evil. Well, they were feeling the fear. And as we all know, fear and anxiety can easily eat our lunch and freeze us from doing anything. It can paralyze us. It can blind us. I know a friend that is covered in her life with anxiety and she can't go out of the house Because it's got her as a prisoner. And Jesus, in the scriptures, God says, fear not. It's amazing that we have drugs like Ambien right now for insomnia. And I have a friend that lost his life because he took too much of it. Because it made him psychotic. And what they do with Ambien, it says it just takes care of the feeling. It makes you go to sleep. But the real root of the problem is you need to get down into what they call is cognitive behavioral therapy, which means changing your thinking. And God did that many years ago. Because he said, I'm with you. You Christian don't need to worry. You don't need to fear. Because I'm near you. I will carry you through. Give it to me and I will take care of it for you. Because we vainly toil and work and, and we... we we don't have the sleep because we're anxious, because we're worried, we're fearful it's going to go from us. And here God says, fear not. Worrying doesn't change anything. In fact, it blinds us. It cripples us. And fear is based on us not getting what we want and not feeling in control. And yet here, we have God who says, I'm in control. I've got you. I've got your back. I'm going to even provide for you things that you can't even realize that you're going to get, that you don't even know how to supply yourself with. I'm going to do it. And that's what God does. And every time it gets tough, though, the Israelites go back to, oh, it was better back in Egypt. (laughs) 
it's not. They're delusional. How many of us have times we find ourselves, oh, the good old times. Were they really that good old times? It's at those moments that we need to stop and listen to what God says. Fear not. Wait. Watch for what I'm going to do here. Oh, that's hard. If you're a hands-on person, a type A personality like me, that's hard. It's really tough. And it's at those point that as we are sitting at the Red Sea with the Israelites, just recognize, friends, that God has us in this tough place. And he's allowed things to happen so that we see what he wants us to see. And that we find ourselves not concerned about getting out of it. As much as we're concerned with his glory being seen in the way we deal with it. That we acknowledge that he's in control. And that we keep our eyes on Jesus. You see, the Israelites had taken their eyes off the pillar and they put their eyes on the Egyptians coming down the road. God even took that pillar and put it in between them so the Egyptians couldn't get at them. And it was total darkness on the Egyptian side and it was light on the Hebrew side. So they can see where they were going. In the Bible, it says over 107 times in the Old Testament, don't be afraid. In the New Testament, 42 times. That fear, that emotion, and it's emotion, it's the erratic motion in our hearts. Many Christians fall short in their walk with Christ because they allow their emotions to lead them rather than their faith. And it gets us in big trouble. I've seen it. You've seen it. I've seen people, in fact, today, Super Soul Sunday. I remember one Monday I went into the police headquarters. And they had just investigated a crime. There wasn't much investigation. Two brothers were on opposite sides about the Super Bowl. And the one brother in the emotional part of the moment was pushed the button on his brother, who picked up a bat and hit him in the head and killed his brother. Over a Super Bowl game. That emotion. How many of us have seen people wind up in a marriage or with somebody because they allowed their emotions control rather than what they knew what God wanted for them in the relationship? And they got themselves in deep trouble in that marriage. They went with their lust rather than the love of Christ. In this culture we live in, of course, we know, we, those of us who remember the song of love the one you're with. Remember that song? If it feels good, do it. Please. God tells us, no, don't go with your emotions. Go by faith. 
trust me that I say things in my word to protect you. And that those feelings, they feel good, but some of those feelings are not healthy and could take you down a bad path. Fear, worry, anxiety, panic, all those things can enslave us. And here we have it. The Israelites have this great ally called God and is leading them who brought them out of Egypt. And here they are, panicked. We see this though all throughout the Bible. <laughs> here Jesus has just spoke Sermon on the Mount. And him and the disciples get in the boat and they go across the lake. And Jesus falls asleep in the front. And a storm shows up. Now they've been all exhausted, they've been tired all day, they've been working with the Lord. And all of a sudden this storm comes up and the waves start coming over the boat. And they're panicked. These are seasoned fishermen, let me tell you. They're used to a storm. But evidently this storm was going pretty good. And they're so panicked. They're afraid that they're going to drown. They're a mile, two miles from shore. And they wake Jesus up. And he looks at him. And he stands up and he looks at him and says, where's your faith? <laughs> they weren't exercising their faith. They were letting worry, panic, agitation, franticness to control them. Rather than trusting that God wasn't going to let them drown. Here, this is where the children of Israel are. And God has got them now at the place he wants them to be. Because he's going to show them how he's going to protect them. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. They're not going to be any part of your problem ever again, folks. And the Lord will fight for you, and you will only be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, start stepping ahead. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hands over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and their horsemen. Here they are, backed up. And God says to them, I'm going to show you my power now. Trust me. And you've got to be not fearing anymore, but standing firm. And watch what I'm going to do. And Moses raises up his hands, and the sea parts. 
says, move forward. And here they are, all two million of them, walking through the middle of the sea on dry land. And it's like they're in an aquarium and they're seeing the fish swimming next to them. And God has provided dry land after it's been wet for thousands of years. And they're walking on the dry land. And there's the cloud behind them protecting them from the Egyptians getting close to them. And once they're all on the other side of the land, the Egyptians start following and their chariots are getting bogged down in the mud. They don't have the dry ground. They don't have the Lord on their side. And once they get into the water, God says to Moses, raise your hands and shut the door. And the Egyptian army gets swallowed up. God wants you and I to have that in our heart, that faith that trusts God. So that we can have the peace of God. And the way the peace of God comes to us, folks, is when we're at peace with God in our hearts. And that we know God is walking through whatever crisis that you are going through. You are not alone. And God will walk through you and he'll fight your battles. He'll make your enemies frustrated. And the obstacles in your life that are there, he will. Make them pathways for you as you trust him and walk and step forward and he will give you the path of dryness. And that we realize that that current situation that you're in, the Israelites were going through right there and as they walked through that dry sea, that was a step of faith for them to build them for the faith that they're going to need as they're out in the middle of the desert. For 40 more years. The faith that they built that day is going to be a faith that they can build on for the next crisis in their lives. Faith, the Bible says, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen that we know God is going to do. And if you want a, a good definition, folks, I read this the other day, and it's powerful. Several years ago, at Westwood Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, there's a group of high school and junior high students that were meeting at the flagpole at that church. And what they were doing at the flagpole, that we do this every year too here at the church with our school, it's a time of prayer. Prayer for our country. Prayer for our leaders. Prayer for the students and teachers. And for the students to walk with Christ. But that day, a maniac gunman came and shot some of the students. One of the students was named Casey Griffin. And one of the odd things she did is that 
You know, as junior high kids do, they collect things. And it's kind of their mantra. Casey had given her life to Christ a year before at camp. And frogs became very important to her because it's a reminder of her commitment to Jesus. And in her room were stuffed frogs. She had bracelets and necklaces with frogs wherever she could find them. And friends began to see frogs and they'd buy them for her and give them to her. And the day of the funeral, her dad got up and spoke about Casey and her commitment to Christ and why the frog was so important. He said, most of you didn't know it, especially his close, her close friends. But frog to her meant fully relying on God. That was the definition of her faith. And even as that shooter was shooting, she was praying and died, trusting God all the way. And that's what faith is. When God said to the children, fear not, Stand still, watch what I'm going to do, and then move forward. And he did. He delivered the children of Israel. And God puts us in those predicaments, friend, as he did with the Israelites, to develop us. Especially as we battle in this world of Egyptian world, Egyptian music. Egyptian media. As we look at the Grammy Awards and get disgusted of Satan worship, that we frog, that we're fully devoted to God, that we're fully relying on God in everything we do as Christians, and that we don't fear. We don't give in to worry, but we fully rely on God. Back in World War II, there was a missionary by the name of Gladys Ayers who loved her Lord and was a missionary to China. But during World War II, the Japanese were advancing into China. They were killing Christians, Americans, and children, male children. And Gladys had set up a missionary outpost in China because as we all know, during war, children wind up becoming orphans. Moms and dads get killed and they're left alone to fend for themselves. And she felt God leading her, and she wound up with a hundred kids in an orphanage. 
that she worked hard to have built. But as the Japanese were closing in, they were told they better get out because they're going to kill them and kill the children. And so Gladys, headed for the mountains, knew that she could, if we could get over those mountains, that they could get to a safe place in Mongolia where she could protect the children. But after a couple of days, she was weary. Especially one night when she heard gunfire. Pretty close. She was worn out. You know what that does when we're worn out, we're tired and overwhelmed. It's easy just to lose our faith. A little girl, 14 years old, comes up to her and says, Miss Ayers, do you remember the story that you told us how God delivered the Israelites through Moses and they crossed the Red Sea and were delivered from their enemies? And Gladys snapped at the girl and said, but I'm not Moses. <laughs> and the little girl said to her, but Jehovah is God and he'll deliver us. And guess what? She walked them to their freedom and security in Mongolia. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we come to you and we know how hard it is, sometimes for us, to fully rely on you. Especially when we feel the pressures of life or we hear the diagnosis, or that things have happened in our lives and it's just so hard to believe and trust you. I thank you, God, that you're a God who is by our side and that you love us and that you'll never let us go and that you walk with us. Help us, Jesus, to fully rely on you and to live for you through everything in our life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Please stand with me as we receive the benediction. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit be upon you. Amen. God.